Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast. Biggest win of the season, right? Chris Leiden and Chris Francis. I mean, am I wrong when I say that? It's it's up there. It's top two, right? Like what would be the uh, what would be the uh, Brooklyn? contender? Brooklyn? Brooklyn? Yeah, Brooklyn's up there. But I feel like this was a mostly full strength Brooklyn squ- or uh Milwaukee squad. The only big guy they didn't have was Brooke Lopez. And I feel like, boy, they gave them everything they can handle. 16-point Cavs win. Just a phenomenal effort from every single Cavalier tonight that that played. I, I'm as hyped as I've been all season. I don't know about you guys. It definitely was. A, it was a tougher out than the Brooklyn game. I mean, this was a, not just because of how healthy they were. And they played really well, too. I mean, Chris Middleton had a phenomenal game. He's continuing his phenomenal season. Um, they got some good calls. I mean, it was a this was a, an uphill battle for sure. And uh, yeah, well, and not just Middleton. I mean, Bobby Portis had a great game. Uh, Giannis had a really good game. Obviously, got a lot of foul calls, but um, you know, Divincenzo had a pretty pretty decent game. Um, just, but they just outplayed the Bucks. I mean. The Bucks shot 28% from three, while the Cavs shot 19 of 42, a blistering 19 of 42. I mean, just phenomenal effort from every single Cavalier. And actually, guys, I'm sorry. I have to pause this for a minute. I uh, My dog desperately needs to – is begging me oh. to go out here. So I will uh, I let I it I heard out. that. No, it was not a child. My children are not that young. I'll be right back. <laughs> So welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. Uh, emergency stop because uh, Percy the Cavachon had to go outside and uh, <laughs> do his business. So, but let's talk about the Cavs shooting tonight because 
We saw a little bit of everyone for the Cavs. Cavs had, what, six guys in double figures, um, led by, of course, Kevin Love, five and nine from deep. Chetty Osman, a scorching six of 14 from deep, just firing away without remorse. Uh, Darius Garland, three of five. Dean Wade, two of three. Um, even Ray, Ray John Rondo, uh, one of five. Um, but all up in his, all in his bag going down the stretch, uh, with some, some pretty nifty buckets. Um, just everyone unafraid to shoot and clearly wanted it against the Bucks. And the Bucks looked a little unprepared for what they got. I mean, what did you see from Chetty Osman, who struggled the last few games that was different versus the last couple games? And I'll start with you, uh, Chris Lydon. I think with Chetty, it's just variance, you know. And uh, he's a streaky shooter. And I know there's not always a lot of stats to back up the idea of streaky shooters, but he certainly is. And you can see it. It passes the eye test. Like, he got it going tonight. He felt confident. I think the coaches gave him some slack. There was a cool um, exchange that was picked up on the, the uh, broadcast that I was tuned into where uh, Jimmy Bakerstaff, uh, Chetty missed his first miss. So I think it was like his fifth attempt or something. He was building a streak and, and, and JB basically said like, it's okay. You earned that one. Like that's a heat check. You earned it. And uh, Chetty was laughing with him. Um, so yeah, but I think that's just Chetty Osman. Um, I mean, he's certainly improved in his consistency, but you're going to get nights like this. And I think the team is built to do really well with a hot Chetty Osman or a hot Kevin Love, although now Kevin Love's hot every game, right? But this is a team full of guys that can get you 15 or, you know, like it's, it's could happen to anybody any night. And uh, this was a Chetty night for sure. What about uh, you, Chris Francis, who stood out for you? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Chetty and uh, Love, I, I think. To follow up on the Chetty deal, like what stands out to me is four assists, two steals. Um, That means his playmaking was working. Um, Only two turnovers. So two to one assist to turnover ratio, two steals. He was making plays on both ends, you know, offensively and defensively. He got 34 minutes, um, which is a a crap ton for him. Like, I mean, that's probably Led, led the team. Oh, there you go. Are you serious? There you go. He so, did, yeah. Um, I mean, it, that has to be the really – that's the big story, right? Because, like, he did this against the Bucks. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let's talk I mean, about like, – He just first, absolutely dominated the bench. It was incredible. First big game all year, nine-man rotation for the Cavs. Yes, Ooh, and and on a night yeah, where the, yeah. our bench really kicked it off in that second, it, they did because our bench is, is isn't much different, um, especially with with this. I mean, we had this with Rubio as well, uh, but there's also some changes to our starting lineup that have drawn it back to more in line with that sort of second unit out there. But the second unit just came in, and then yeah, you got Kevin Love who can just do this now. You know, he's just in a place where um, this is something he'll give you, and he'll give it to you. Man, he's, he shoots over people. Like, he's just, he doesn't give a shit. Like, who's in his face? He's seen it before. You know what I mean? It's beautiful. If Windler shot like that guy, I mean, he kind of, it's kind of impossible to have that sort of confidence if you haven't done it. I don't know how many points, you know, how many three-point shots has Kevin Love attempted in his career, right? He doesn't care. He's just doing it. And it's working so well. Well, and 57 bench points for the Cavs to 15 for the Bucks. I mean, that 
brutal. Literally, is the story of the game. I mean, the Cavs ran in nine man rotation, fifty-seven to fifteen. One oh my five God, for bench. Oh yeah, for bench wow. scoring. I mean, I mean, and wow. when your two leading scorers for the Cavs are off the bench with Chetty and Kevin Love, it's just like that's all you need when you when you're you know Darius Garland nineteen, Evan Mobley sixteen. And then, you know, Allen and Wade with 10. And let's talk about how good Dean Wade was in 13 <laughs> minutes. Yes. 10 points, three assists, My man. a rebound. So Jimmy Dean Wade. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do they call him? Wolfman? Uh, Dean Is Wolf. that what they call him? <laughs> Dean, Dean Wolf. Wolf. What, yeah, Dean Wolf. Um, Dean Wolf. Least, I love that's it. His, that's his, like, team, or we used to, used to be his team <laughs> name. But, uh, no, he, okay, so he hasn't reached his ceiling yet, man. Uh, my dude is improving still, and uh, the, the success story of him and Stevens in the development within this organization and what they're providing for the Cavs is another story of the game. There are many stories to this game, and that's one, man. Like, Dean Wade's riding the bench for two weeks. They're like, yo, you're starting. You know, he probably saw that injury and kind of had a little bit of a premonition of how that would work out. Um, and then he's just in. His defense has been great. I, I say great in the context of what you're expecting from Dean Wade. It's been great, right? I mean, fantastic for, you know, guy out of rotation who's going to come in and, and fill in for your starting position, basically because he's tall, <laughs> right? Tall-ish. But he moves he just, his feet yeah. really well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody no, underestimates him. Yeah, and he's, and he's showing improvement. I mean, like a guy like Stevens, I think we've probably seen a bit more of his ceiling. I think as he gets confident and savvy, he'll improve. Um, but like Dean Wade's like working on stuff and getting better at it. And, and we see it in games like this. Yeah. I, I think the thing that impressed me about Wade's performance tonight was on the off. It was honestly on the offensive side. Like he had three assists in 14 minutes. Uh, he made some ridiculous pass uh, in the game to uh, Darius Garland, I guess when Garland got injured, but it was just, uh, I mean, four for five shooting two for, for three, like he just, you know, I feel like he kind of got kickstarted from the second half of the last game against um, the Knicks and is just riding that wave. And, you know, it's freaking glorious. I mean, and that's the thing, too. I think the thing about his defense is that he's a physical player. Like, you can't push him off his spot. Like, uh, you saw Middleton try to post him up, and basically the only way Middleton was able to get to him is by, you know, beating him to the spot. In the post, yeah. so, or, or making um, ridiculously tough shots, exactly. Yes. Making Which he makes because he's Chris. Him. Yeah, he's Chris yeah. Middleton. But and, and if a guy makes those shots, you give it to him. Yes, right. that's right. the shot you want. And uh, he did a much better job on Middleton than the other guys we put on him. We had uh, Okoro on him later in the game, and it did not turn out as well, um, just because of the the way the size met, you know mismatch worked there. Um, Wade was great on him. Wade was the best guy to defend him, and Wade's probably the best guy to defend that kind of archetype. Um, you know, on the bench. Yeah. And the other thing I loved, my favorite Jim, Jimmy Dean Wade moment was crossing up Middleton and then draining a three from the top of the key. <laughs> the right turn around. Grill, yeah. Nuts. Right Nuts. in his grill. See, that's confidence. That's a guy that is, like, you know, yeah. that's coming off, you know, he, he's been starting two games now. Right. And uh, yeah, that guy feels like he's pretty good at basketball and uh, yeah. is comfortable trying to be a good basketball player on this team in this locker room. Yeah, I, just and hope, I hope JB just keeps him unleashed. You know what I mean? Like this is what he needed is some freedom. He will. To, it's five, you know, it's five space coaching, it. man. That's what yeah. he does. 
Jeez. It's what? What did you say? It's vibes-based coaching. You know, vibes-based. He's gonna Gotta keep. Gotta you know, keep those good vibrations happening. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we might see. I mean, we, we might see. Uh, we probably will see Wade the entirety of the of the market injury. Yeah, and yeah, just a really, really balanced win for the Cavs, and obviously the straw that stirs the drink. For Cleveland, Darius Garland, another brilliant game, 19 points. He, yeah, he ended his double-digit assist streak, but I don't think any of us uh, are complaining about it. Leading, tying with Lamar Stevens in a plus 13 on the night, 19 points, 8 dimes, 7 of 12 from the field, just completely in control. And only One turnover. In, yeah, 26 minutes, and nursing went out a couple times with a bad back. Uh, that back injury flaring up on him yep. a little bit. Yep. And you got to hope he can, you know, stay healthy uh, into the all-star break. But uh, yeah. yeah, my friend Dex uh, texted me about, we were talking about that exact thing. Um, you know, he's not huge. He's not old. Like he's, you know, young guy. I think I heard the Bucks announcers were talking about that as well. Like being able to play through those spasms because he's young. And my buddy Dex said, uh, He's too young and cool to have real back problems. And I, I feel that as a person who's old enough to have real back problems. Um, and it's in, in it, uh, he was laughing and moving around pretty well on the bench. So I don't, I don't think it's, uh, necessarily a problem that's getting worse. Um, I think he was getting through a lot of it for his, for his birthday and for the big game. Yeah. And yeah, three Cavalier birthdays today. Uh, Kevin Pangos, Darius Garland, and Isaac Okoro all uh, all had birthdays, and apparently <laughs> That's at the, uh, the sh- thing. <laughs> apparently at the shoot around today, they made Evan Mobley sing to him. Oh, uh, really? I hope you yeah. came to that. Yeah, you, I hope so too. You because see that. yeah, <laughs> and and again, just good vibes. This team really, you know, Kevin. I don't know if you guys caught the post game interview with Kevin Love. No. Uh, uh, with uh, him and uh, Serena Winners. Um, I think that's her name. Um, just yes. talking about how everybody on this team kind of plays for each other. And, you know, it's a share the wealth mentality. You know, as long as they win, they don't really care who's the leading scorer is and, you know, who, who gets the glory. I, I And you got to love that about this team. I mean, Jared Allen had a quiet night, 10 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, you didn't hear a lot from him, but – and he looked – you know, I think more than one person said he looked like he was still kind of uh, recovering from the effects of uh, his illness that he missed the previous game with against the Knicks. And – but, boy, he did a nice job on Giannis at times. I mean, who is probably the most difficult guard in the NBA right now, especially – he was amazing. I'm glad you brought his name up because, I mean, that's like an underrated part of the story here is. Yeah. And like when the, we come back, Chris is going to talk about that. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cods of Podcast. Chris Francis, tell us how good Giannis is this season and how good he was tonight and what a good job the Cavs uh, did containing him in this game. Yeah, I mean, they, it was funny when I was watching the game and seeing how well they were defending, uh, Giannis, uh, especially 
you know, they had Jared Allen on him for size and speed and he was able to move his feet, make it tough, stay in front of him, you know, cause he's young and uh, quick as well. And, uh, what was funny and ironic about it was that the Cavs were really giving Giannis a taste of the medicine that other teams have been giving the Cavs lately, which is collapsing on the paint and just showing bodies around the rim, make it impossible uh, to get to the rim. And so that's really what they were able to do to Giannis is they were able to contain him and show bodies in the paint. And he and then Giannis uh, really had a problem finding the kickouts, honestly. And when he did find the kickouts, they were out of rhythm and they didn't shoot well. Um, well, and seven, three. the Cavs forced him into seven turnovers. Exactly. Exactly. Big, big I mean, just show bodies like, uh, and uh, they had, let's see, 19 turnovers. You know, they so forced the Cavs 19. 12. Yeah. And then, and they shot uh, only 28% from three. So, I mean, it was just the Cavs had a blueprint for. <laughs> Honestly, they showed the blueprint for how you stop Giannis. It's show bodies in the paint and force them, force him to see the kick out and then just close and just hustle and close out on the shooters. And I don't know. Uh, it worked to perfection. Yeah, it did. I, I don't know. It's it's two games, so we can't tell. But the spacing feels a little bit different without Markkanen. I think that that's partially an artifact of just how huge he is, right? He takes up a ton of space defensively. So the floor looks more open. I'll put it that way, uh, when he's not out there compared to where they were using uh, Wade on the wing. Um, but, you know, with Allen, I'm, I'm going to touch on Allen, Mobley, and Giannis here because I think it's kind of a fitting thing. Um, when Mobley gets in front of guards, even on a fast break, if you can just get in front of them, they might be able to beat him, like get by him on the dribble, but they don't want to find out quite yet. Like, they often don't test that, right? Um Giannis, of course, can run through that, and he got his. Like he got his twenty six, uh, nine rebounds. You know, like he 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 played a baseline game for him, uh, but he couldn't take over the game. You know, and I think I think that's a big part too of the fouls because he he got a lot of superstar fouls, and he's going to get those because of who he yeah, is. Yeah, eleven of twelve from the line. He yeah. got a lot of free throw attempts, and he and he hit a lot of them. Um, but I, those aren't the same as. You know, if he wins a few one on twos in your paint in, you know, three or four out of five possessions in a row, like that ends the night for a lot of teams, right? Like that when you're just getting beat and uh, he wasn't able to do that. And uh, there was a great play. Um, I don't know if Jonas was in it or not, but um, there's an amazing play where um, one of the guards got past Allen and I thought Allen almost gave up on it. Like he didn't want to foul. Um, but Mobley, uh, I'm not sure if he got credited for a block, but he either blocked or forced the miss like as soon as the guard got past Allen. And I think Allen did that because he didn't want to draw a foul and he knew that Mobley was right behind him. Um, so we've got that. We've got that working on all cylinders again for sure. Yeah, there was a great uh, tweet that I posted in the live thread uh, from Mike Zambago. Um, who talked about how one of the great things that Cavs have is even when you have a great paint guy like Giannis that uh, that can just dominate the paint, the Cavs still have another backline defender in Mobley, which is a luxury that, you know, really unless you've got Lopez and Giannis playing, no other team in the East really has. 
And that's such a luxury for the Cavs. And and even a little bit more when Markinen's there because, you know, if Markinen's on the ball, then you've got those other two guys waiting in the wings. And it's it's definitely a big advantage and, you know, really well put together defensive scheme for the Cavs. And you could see it tonight with the way they played, you know, the uh, the Bucks is just, you know, Giannis is going to get his. Um, but we are going to contest everything else, everything everyone else throws up. And they really did a, an awesome job to that of that tonight. It was, it was super fun to watch. And just I felt like it was the highest, the highest level the Cavs have played all year. Like, I think we were all 100%. Really- I would I would totally agree with that. That that's they were very sharp and withstood like the Bucks came out in this game like trying to trying to get the submission you know send basically. a message yeah. exactly exactly they they tried to they hopped all over them in the first quarter it was like 35 six, 26 or something and but that was the thing is that the Cavs just kept it within 10 you know and then Chetty and Love come in on, for the second quarter and then they just take over and it's just like bam the Cavs are rolling and they steamrolled it you know uh, right from that point on so it was awesome. Yeah, and, and it always, I mean, matters when you hit your threes too. And the Cavs did that tonight. <laughs> I mean, that that changes the game in you know every level of basketball. But you know that's the NBA too. It's make or miss. And if you put guys in positions to hit those threes, then and you make them, that you it's your night. Well, you know, and, and I think the thing that the Cavs have been missing is just a, a guy who wants to take it, the shot out there. There's, there's a, it's a whole team of unselfish players. I think a lot of times to a fault, especially if you're looking at guys like Wade and Windler and Chetty, even, uh, they're trying to make the right play or whatever. But really, what this offense needs them to do is just fire away. You know, what I mean, yeah. just take the freaking shot, you know, and when they take those shots and, you know, they're just confident in heaving them. And this is the result is that we can beat down any team in the NBA. You know what I mean? And all you have to do is just hit the shot that we know you can hit, you know? Oh, for sure. And I, I would say the other part of that is the Cavs, um, you know, just a rest, just not just getting a couple extra days off and knowing that maybe those four games in four days in a row that the Cavs have off till their next game are coming because I really felt like against the Thunder and the Knicks, the Cavs played down to their opponent a lot and, and maybe they were looking ahead to this game a little bit and, but they certainly rose to the occasion tonight. And to me, a lot of it was just, you know, getting the rest and, getting back into their rhythm because they were absolutely gassed after that road trip and you know to their credit one ugly against the Knicks and the Thunder they have a pretty good chance here I think in the next uh, two weeks of taking first uh, in the conference I, I, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure they'll keep it but the way the schedule is breaking um, oh yeah, this was like the biggest. You know, this game is a in, shot. Like, yeah, this was the biggest game in like two weeks, right? Like, yeah, I mean, this is a couple. Yeah, a this couple is a game in late January far. that has kind of playoff implications, right? I mean, and mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what this well, was. Well, and, and as did the Knicks game for sure. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and the Bucks played like they knew that this was a a rival 
<laughs> One of my favorite observations was about how Giannis was literally out taking practice shots during the halftime show, which you almost never yes. see in the NBA. Like he clearly wanted it and clearly the Cavs were a bit too much for that team tonight. I just think about like <laughs> I, I watched the halftime show. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff. I'm just thinking about like this uh, middle-aged guy bouncing on like a, a insane Rube Goldberg machine of what looked like sort of tin cylinders. Like it was a balancing act. And then he got his four-year-old <laughs> named Alexander out. And now he's like doing tricks with the four-year-old. And I'm just thinking of like Giannis in the background, like in the dark, just like draining free throw shots. <laughs> pretty incredible. <laughs> and, and I, and you know, let's be honest. That's part of the reason we all love Giannis because he's so insanely competitive in yeah. an era when so many of these guys are buddy, buddy with each other. Like, there's so many stories about how Giannis is not friends with anybody on other teams unless he's played with them before. But, and that's something you love because you always know that he's going to absolutely give his all. But, you know, let's talk about one of the possibly the best play of the game was when Evan Mobley dunked on Giannis. I mean, off a ridiculously great no look feed. Of a double crossover dribble from uh, Darius Garland, Giannis or uh, Mobley drove the right baseline and dunked all over Giannis. I mean, were you guys up and out of your chairs when that happened? I was actually spamming the tweet all over my group chats when that happened. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, ch- I was laughing uh, more than jumping because. Uh, you know, it was it was fantastic. And I didn't even really catch how skilled it was until I was able to see a replay. Oh yeah, the I, slow-mo I replay was, was yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That that's Garland. what I that's what I was sending around, Nate. I yeah. was, uh, that 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 was so freaking dope. It was well, I mean I the, the the no look pass by I, I think it was the handles in the uh, the handles in the no look pass by DG that really you know made the made the play. So I caught that it was a no look live, but I didn't realize until that replay that he actually did a no look and he did a fake pass and then passed out of that arm <laughs> angle um, to a different person. So he faked the pass to whoever was on like the strong side high and uh, and then made that pass. So fantastic. And, and how old is Darius Garland now? 22? Just turned. Yeah. I mean, so dang crafty for 22, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's he, the... He was born to play basketball. Like, he's just a natural, a complete freaking natural. Like, you know, his, he must have, you know, his dad just must have been like Tiger Woods' dad or whatever, you know, just like <laughs> was a great freaking dad, you know, and just wrote, like, just made the perfect basketball machine because that's like, that that's the thing about, uh, DG is like, he, he looks the same. Ever since he he plays the game the same way since he was like five years old, he's always been a small guy having to counter people's strength and size. You know what I mean? So he just has this uh, amazing patience for a young kid and unselfishness for a young kid to make the right play over and over. And like that's how he ended up. Uh, he, like, didn't he tie LeBron James' record for double digit assists? I guess that, you said yeah. that got broken tonight, right? Consecutive double digit assists. Yeah, consecutive. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, he doing- did, he did not beat the record because he only had eight. 
But oh, uh, okay, okay. But I mean, there you go. You know, I mean, like at least he's in the conversation. You know, and he's twenty-two. So. I mean, can, assuming you're using a base ten numbering system, <laughs> he's he's no longer playing playing to his height. He's he's his entire game it has been above or around his height at this point. I definitely noticed it earlier on in his career. I don't notice it anymore. I honestly don't. No, and his floater is so dang deadly. But what makes his floater so deadly is that he releases it from so many different angles and he disguises whether he's going to pass or shoot like until the very last second. And he doesn't show the ball too early. It's just he he's so crafty for the age that he is. It's, it's really almost preternatural the way yeah. he, he plays basketball. And I haven't looked it up, but um, I have a feeling that he's pretty high up in terms of his uh, uh, distance from basket on those three-point attempts. I mean, it looks that way for sure. Um, he's, he's firing from, from pretty deep, pretty consistently. Well, I would say that's true too, but he's also kind of mastered that Curry corner three where he relocates to the corner. And you saw that against the Knicks, that just – ridiculous yep. shot he made where he pump faked from near the left wing and then took a drop step dribble to relocate to the left corner and just drained it in what was literally the game winning shot. Yeah. And I got to talk about one of the other guards very quick because we wouldn't normally talk about Isaac Okoro tonight because it wasn't really a huge Isaac Okoro game, but he attempted, I don't think he made, but he attempted a step back three off of his own dribble um, on the perimeter guarded by, I think, Holiday. Um, and that's phenomenal to see from him because I don't think he's ever done that in a game. I could be wrong. Maybe he's done it a handful of times, but like uh, he did a full shooting guard offensive move. And uh, that's good to see because he's oh, not been I'm, trying. I'm 100% with you because I just love the confidence. You're not seeing him overpassing like he was where he would – get yeah, to the potato. lane, to the rim, and then have a shot at the basket and then do this terrible dump-off pass that put a guy in a worse position. You're not seeing that like you were. And even though he had three points tonight, he still had three assists with zero turnovers. Um, you know, didn't do more than the game really called for him to do tonight. Um, and obviously when you're, you know, going against uh, Drew Holiday, you, you've got your hands full. But, yeah, just – loving the way that he's been playing basketball the last uh, few weeks. Yeah. And they didn't I mean, need him to score. To, I mean, no, and, he, Holiday, and Holiday didn't yeah. score either. So <laughs> Yeah, Holiday was in prison. He scored four points. <laughs> yeah, maybe and maybe he did more on that than I that kind of realized at the time. But um yeah, we know he's good though. We know he's you know he was he was a rookie and he could do that stuff. Like he's he's incredible for that. And um more and more I just I just don't see the team um trying to move on from him. I'm not trying to change the subject. I just like, he's no, I'm with he, you. We're winning. Like, okay. So we're, now we're beating the bucks handily, uh, at their full strength with him, you know, playing the, two. Well, not a hundred percent full. They're still well, missing like Lopez, yeah. you know, sure. that's a big deal. So yeah, that's true. That's true. But three, I mean, you know, three of their, their best players, I would argue. Um, I don't know if you want to put Lopez in front of uh holiday, but I put him in front of Portis probably. Oh yeah, um, no, I'm with you. I mean, but yeah, I mean, still sure. pretty good. Pretty, I mean, this was a big win, and 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 again, like the proof is sort of in the pudding in terms of whether you're getting enough out of him on the offensive end to justify uh, locking someone down for for how many minutes did he end up? Yeah, 29 minutes. That's what you want. That's what you got from him. 
Yeah. And I think when we come back, um, we might talk about Kevin Love a little more. Um, cause you know, my wife and I were, we're talking about Kevin. So, uh, I, I want to lay a little bit of that on you. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and this is a 67% Chris podcast with Chris Lydon and Chris Francis. And uh, Kevin Love tonight, guys. Just the the straw that stirs the drink, right? Like 25 points in 26 minutes and 51 seconds. I mean, nine rebounds. Uh, yeah, he had the five turnovers, but just I don't think anybody at the beginning of the season – Saw this coming from Kevin Love. I, oh, I did either of you guys? Uh, uh, au contraire. As Mo Frere. Yes. And president of Love Island. Uh, the agenda has been victorious, I'll say. I would say that, you know, I've, I feel like now that this is okay. I'm getting on my soapbox now. Thank you for bringing up Kevin. Get on up. Get, get on up, get on Chris up. Francis. It is disgusting. The Testify. Think that it is disgusting. The things that I've seen out there in the internet sphere said about Kevin Love, NBA champion for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Love. Disrespectful trade scenarios, disrespectful buyout talk, disrespectful, oh, he's quit on the team type deal. You know, and making mountains out of molehills. Exactly. Exactly. The dude just wants to win. Like, that's his crime. His crime is that he wants to win. It's a crime of passion. (laughs) (laughs) He just wants to win. And now he's got some dogs with him. You know what I'm saying? He's finally, they finally got some dogs for him. They got Mobley. They got, uh, you know, they got Rubio. They were able to get Rondo. They were able to get, uh, you know, uh, DG is taking over. They kept Jared Allen, got Laurie Market, and they finally got some guys for him to play with. And now look at what's happening. You know, he, he's thriving. You know, he's thriving. Would you say he threw up like nearly a 2010? Double double, you know, in twenty seven minutes. That's you know, like he's the sixth man of the year. Let's get let's just get this straight. Like Kevin Love is in Tyler better. Who? Yeah, thank you, thank you, Tyler. Who? Yeah, get the get, get out of here. Get out of here with Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero. <laughs> gonna... No, absolutely not. I'm sorry, I'm not hearing none of it. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to save you from yourself for a second there. I thought you were just going to get real mean about Tyler here, which is <laughs> yeah, fine. Thank you, thank you can you, be. Thank you. Yeah, but, thank you. Uh, you we, know, we, he we should have had to cut it in post. If all, if all the voters, <laughs> yeah, if all the voters uh, were actually watching Cavs games, then uh, Love would win. No, no problem because he's, he has the largest impact on his team from a non-starting position in the entire NBA. Um, and that goes obviously beyond the, the on court as well, which is stuff obviously that uh, fans are not necessarily going to pick up on, but um, you know, the people that are, that are voting and that's what media and coaches for sixth men. I think it is, but uh, when you guys could yeah. correct me if it's not, but yeah, I, um, I think a decent amount of media will notice players will certainly notice. Um, so yeah, I mean, he deserves that whether or not he gets it uh, doesn't mean that he's any less deserving of being the the most important six guy in the league. I mean, I the mean, only it, to me, the only competition was Ricky Rubio. 
No, I'm right. serious because yeah, <laughs> Ricky was so great off the bench for the Cavs. And and to me, it was really the only competition for Kevin. And now that Ricky Rubio's, you know, out for the year, it's 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 really Kevin's award to lose to me. Do you guys think he'll, he'll actually win, though? Because I don't. I, I think the Cavs would have to finish like first in the East for that. to happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What if they spend exactly. a couple of weeks at first and then the all-star break happens and they're kind of no, right around first? I don't think. Would that yeah. be enough? Well, I, I think that's a possibility. I think he's really, if he keeps playing at this level and, you know, Miami, I, I think the head-to-head matchups with Miami are actually going to matter in some respects. So, yeah, ooh. yeah. Yeah, six six man of the year watch tweets going out. <laughs> well, well <laughs> how I, about- I actually think that I don't even think he cares about. I think this is what he cares about. I think first of all, he cares about winning. Secondly, I think this is like his opportunity. Like, I think all he cares about is getting in the playoffs and like reminding everybody who he is in the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? I think yeah. this that's that's what's driving his passion for the game right now is that this is a Hall of Fame. This is this is this could be the Hall of Fame uh cherry on top of his Hall of Fame career. You know what I mean? Taking the Cavs he, back yeah. to the offs. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. You know yeah, what I mean? I true. feel like that nar- it totally changes the narrative about Kevin Love, don't you think? You know? Oh, absolutely. He's the all-star who stayed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And he's been a Cav longer than he's been a Timberwolf at this point. It's it, And he's going to be going down as one of the all-time great power forwards or bigs, you know, in Cavaliers history. Like, he's going – like, I forget where he stands in the uh, team history rankings, but it, yeah, it's essentially high up there. It's essentially taking a third team – to the playoffs, which is some superstar shit. Oh, I swear. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, I'm with Chris you, got man. hyped. <laughs> How about those two great defensive plays he had in a row tonight where I can't remember where the first one was, but he stopped a drive. And then the next play down, he took a charge. And, I mean, it was a hard charge, too. <laughs> two steals, baby. He's got two and steals. two steals, like, he... Still has such, you know, even during the LeBron, not even, but during the LeBron era, he was never the greatest one-on-one defender, but he was so unbelievably smart and he knew where the play was going and he had great anticipation um, that overcame kind of his athletic deficiencies. And, you know, there are times when he kind of gets outmatched and, gets outplayed and we've seen games where he's really struggled defensively and you're going to have that happen at this yeah there's bad matchups yeah yeah, well and you're just going to have bad nights when you're you know 32 years old in the nba but (laughs) man did did he play great defense tonight and he has those games every now and again where he just rises to the occasion it's so much fun to watch i think that's part of the story of of the trade deadline which we don't have to go deep into, but I think that, that point about Kevin Love um, as a as a uh, distributor, like he's so effective. You know, he does those little handoffs on the perimeter. He always knows. He makes the right decision whether to hold it or give it away. His passing out of the high post or elbow or even like out in the perimeter and like a, a four out set like is always, you know, he's doing text work generally, um, you know, and then we have a lot of burgeoning passing and playmaking on the team like kind of what we don't have is dribbling is the big one but like yeah. you know evan mobley is going to get better 
um, at, at playing a, a distributive role, role in facilitating the offense from his position than he is this year. It's, it's going to be way better next year. So there, there oh, is some sure. of that that's, that's around the, that's around the corner. Dribbling, not so much, but, uh, Kevin Love is a huge part of thinking about why this team works the way that it does. And I think that's the key if you're going to be, you know, trying to predict stuff. No, I, I know from the volume of texts that I get from you guys in the, in the phone text chain <laughs> that you're, uh, you're, you're, you're wondering about trades, uh, potentially all day, every day. Uh, and I, I'm not as much of a. No, let's get this straight. Let's let's clear our names. There's well, a. He's hooping a, right now, Eli. so he he has more cred than we do. <laughs> I love that. So Eli and David Wood are both hooping tonight in separate bergs. You know, um, you know, we we're all too old to hoop. At least me, too old and only one good knee left. Well, half a good knee. So yeah, I'm I'm, you know. For sure that the Hoopers are representing a lot, a lot of basketball players on this podcast and a lot of Hoopers out hooping tonight for Casabon. <laughs> no, but you were saying, like, it, to, to his point, uh, Chris, I cut you off. Oh, no, I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up, uh, you know, I think they're actually using Love More now, or featuring Love More, as you said, like, at the high post area or at the three line. Uh, with some dribble handoff and fake handoffs and stuff like that. I think they are using him more and it's just paying off because he's a brilliant offensive player. He's one of the best offensive players this league has ever seen. And we're just getting to see that again now and in a different kind of formation, you know, with him as a three point shooter mainly. Um, oh. but, uh, what I was going to say was, uh, the, well, the one shout out I wanted to give to as well is the top dog of the night would be, Lamar Stevens, three steals in 19 minutes, plus 13, plus minus, uh, five rebounds. Uh, his defense was amazing tonight. And like, that was, that was, uh, I think, you know, there was a, you know, a past couple games, he kind of had a problem impacting the game, like making plays and finding his groove defensively. Well, let's, but, but let's not forget he closed out the Knicks. Right. No, absolutely. Brilliant stop yeah. on yeah. Julius Randle on a switch at oh, yeah. with Julius Randle at a shot to win the game and just shut his water off. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you yeah. Talk no, amongst you're... yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I just think, uh, well, and, and that's the thing. Well, in the, to go back to the love point is I wonder one of the lineups that JB threw out tonight was. Uh, Okoro and Osman basically as combo point guards uh, to close the game out when uh, Rondo wasn't in there. And I just was thinking, you know, when Chris was talking about Love's, you know, involvement in the playmaking process on offense, is is that a lineup that we're going to see? Because that would able to get them uh, Osman, uh, Stevens, and then, um, uh, I'm sorry, Okoro. and then Love. So you'd be able to get your mix of offense and defense and playmaking and possibly, I mean, I guess, you know, that's the thing is maybe a move doesn't have to be made then. You know, if if Okoro can find some minutes at the point guard position and yes. Osman can keep on playmaking like this. I mean, so they had the Okoro, thing. they had Okoro bring the ball up like three or four times in the field. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it's something that they've toyed with in the past. Yeah, um, and obviously, you know, it was garbage time a little bit, but... It was, yeah, no, but I mean, was it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought he brought it up in the third, but you know, it was a weird game. But 
I think Fair. he was, I, yeah, I, th- I thought it was in the third quarter. I could be wrong, but I thought it was in, in meaningful time and I thought it was an intentional thing to, yeah. It, it's and they used to do that a lot. Yep. yep. They used to do that a lot with Sexton. It used to always bother me um, because I felt like sometimes our centers last year uh, didn't quite know who to pass it to sometimes when Sexton and Garland were out there at the same time. Cause you know, Sexton, like Sexton's going to call for the ball, like no matter what. <laughs> um, he wants the ball every play. Uh, and that's part of what makes him good. But they would both kind of call for it. Like centers seem to sort of not know who to pick. Sexton was bringing the ball up, I thought, too much in general when both of them were out there. Um, some of that could have been intentional as well with the coaches, like wanting to give Garland some experience at the two. But either way, um, they've done that with Okoro as well across two seasons, giving him a little bit of run. I think he did that more in college. It's been a minute since I scouted uh, oh, for sure. Isaac Okoro's college game. But if I remember correctly, he was uh, sort of a combo guard and one of the better team, better players on his team. So they were giving him the ball a lot more often. Um, he shouldn't be doing it for you for 20 minutes a, a night and maybe not even 15 minutes a night. But he can spend five to 10 minutes a night um, covering some of that creation. And he'll probably be better at it next season as well. Yeah, for sure. And let's, uh, you know, keep an eye on how young Isaac Okoro is still. I think he just turned 21. Yes. Hey. <laughs> oh, by the way, happy birthday, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, I, you know, my whole thing on Okoro this entire time has been the dude is really good for his age, you know. Everybody kind of forgets that he's a year younger than everybody thinks he is. So I'm I'm not at all worried about Isaac Okoro and not at all thinking the Cavs drafted the wrong guy that year. Um, yeah, I remember when there was a certain defensive player that I fell in love with their college game during, you know, my my nerd draft scouting. Um, and, and this uh, I'll avoid using name the name. names. Um, no, I'll avoid it because I don't want to. I don't want to do it. Do that to Isaac. But I'm just going to say this: but you guys, will, everybody will know. Um, you know, they came into the league with instant defense, and then sort of the just uh, got got drafted by a little a little team in San Antonio, okay. and uh, and and grew an offensive game, um, and and became oh, a uh, really you're, you're, uh, Mr. Leonard. Yes, the claw. But, that's not what Isaac Okoro is going to do necessarily, but it's a similar thing where you get the instant defense. It can justify them having floor time and then you can kind of try to develop them. And I, I go back to this. I've mentioned this on a podcast. I've only been on a few, so I'm sorry to repeat myself, but his shooting coach last year talked a ton about how COVID screwed up all of their plans. They were installing a jump shot on the guy in mid season practices last year, right? Yeah, oh, and so, you've seen it this year too. When he yeah. went out, he uh, with that elbow injury. When he came back, his shot had reverted yep. to before he was, you know, kind of red hot before he had that injury. Yeah, and so and he it's has flat again and kind of off the side of his hand, and yeah, yeah, he's one of these like COVID rookies in a way, right? I think that's going to be a thing if it's not talked about already. Uh, and I'm not saying it, it will be talked about in the future because these guys had a novel experience as rookies last year, right? For sure. Um, not only their, the, the sort of media last two stuff. Years, and, really. Yeah, really. And he's in a lot of ways a, a COVID rookie. And I, I know that that has impacted his, his offensive development. And, uh, so I think it's sort of more fair 
if you're thinking about his developmental timeline to like give the guy a bit of a break and be like, no, this is more like halfway, like, you know, we're looking at halfway through his second season to backing it up to saying like, he's still sort of in that first go of things. Um, so he's going to, he's going to develop a lot, I think there, but I've always been a huge Okoro fan. Like he's one of my favorite guys, uh, for oh. lots of reasons, but. My 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 whole beef. I loved about him mic'd up tonight. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, no I was going to say my whole beef about Isaac Okoro with the Cavs' experience has been is the way the coaching staff has kind of misused him. You know, what I mean, he played at the three, you know, last year, and I get why they did it. They wanted to see if he could develop a shot or whatever and play that role or whatever. But I mean, it was just counter. It was counter to what his tape and what he was as a player. You know, he was obviously a guy who needed the ball in his hands to affect the game, you know, offensively and get touches. And in the tape from his college showed that he could dribble, he can finish. Yeah, it hurt a lot. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, they finally moved him to the, you know, when Sexton went down, unfortunately, they had the opportunity to try him at the two. And, you know, and it's something that, I had wondered about, you know, personally and, and mused about or whatever, seeing a Coro at the two rather than Sexton. And, you know, lo and behold, it looks like, you know, that's the whole thing about uh, a Coro is that he's just a, a team first guy. You know, that's yeah. what's so awesome about a Coro is the, he's the ultimate unselfish team player. Like he's willing to, he's not looking for his shot. He's looking for the best shot. You know, he's, he's playing defense. He's doing the dirty work. You know, he's taking on the challenges that no one else wants to take on, you know, on the defensive end, on the defensive perimeter. And it's just like when you got a guy like that, you know, you have to respect it. Yeah. And let me give you, it's not, this isn't, oops. Hold on to that thought because we're going to break for a commercial and then we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. We were just talking about Isaac Okoro and I think, uh, Mr. Chris Lydon, you had a rebuttal for Mr. Chris Francis. It's not quite a rebuttal. Maybe it's in. Maybe it's in. Point uh, counterpoint. Maybe. Yeah, a little bit of a counterpoint. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's. Uh, I'm going to enter into the uh, the discourse on that topic for a second because I think there's there's some nuggets in there. If we're talking about what this organization is all not about, not Denver if, Nuggets, but no, not Denver Nuggets. But uh, you know, there there there's some pearls of wisdom within that idea about not only the team philosophy, but also how they're going to be looking at the trade deadline and the off season. So um, I do think you're correct in that he was playing out of uh, position. We had actually a couple pretty key people. And by key, I just mean uh, rotation people that were sort of on contract last season playing out of position, right? Um, Chetty Osman, <laughs> we've loved to play Chetty Osman. Uh, out of position. And we see that every, every time he plays internationally as a backup, sort of not on his team there internationally, but he plays like a prototypical, uh, backup three, you know, when he's over there, he does great stuff for them as a wing. Um, but we had a lot of people out of position because the roster was really screwed up. And here's what I, th- my theory of why that was done. It wasn't a mistake in that it, you know, they knew they were sort of hindering the direct development of what they thought the future would be in guys like Okoro. Um, and even Chetty Osman, people that they were intentionally playing out of position. I think if they had played those guys in position for a lot of that year, they would have been so bad <laughs> that it would have hindered their development. Like they were looking to use guys to just scrape together wins 
And, uh, because if, if you're, if you're miserable, it can be so negative. Uh, the I, I am, I, I am of the complete opposite of the, of the, oh, right. Let's go. And that they were farming losses. So, and <laughs> because they ended up with Evan Mobley, you can say, well, it was a successful farming venture. So, uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Well, sure. But then, but then go to the direct, the direct output, right? Like, would you have rather won 10 fewer games and had Okoro playing his, his better position, like playing at the two? Um, and getting those minutes from the the sort of weird sexland you know lineups that they were using for most of that oh i well you know that that assumes that i think sexland wasn't put out there to lose so i think <laughs> i think yeah sexland it's, it's turtle turtles was, all the way was, down on this yeah, one exactly okay. yeah sexland was farming losses so okay <laughs> that could be, I, that could I, be. it was it was I 100% very agree with nate on that it was I, very, I disagree um, but you're you're in, the, you're in plausible process, territory who, who's the master of the process um hanky it was very of the uh sam hanky out of the sam hanky playbook but, so you think that you, know, you think that even you think that even applies to the the new odds they, they were supposed the to. Odds? They were. They were supposed to de-incentivize, de-incentivize uh, tanking. We certainly had a broad range of the outcome of that entire season in terms of its impact on our draft position. We ultimately did well, right? You, you're talking about last season. Yeah, last season. Like, uh, oh, I, I, I do think it's that. harder to tank now. It is harder to tank, now, especially if you're but- tanking counter to development. Like you're t- so so in this because here's my argument, right? If you're tanking the season, you give Okoro the reps at the two, right? Like you're doing something more drastic with. Oh with no, I'm, I'm yeah, I disagree with that too. Yeah, yeah you're trying I'm, to actually yeah. from a defensive <laughs> standpoint. Yeah, Sexland never made any sense. Right, but I mean, and we even had a whole podcast about this. You and me and Eli, Mister Francis, where we said. You know, we actually asked the question, were they actually trying to win? And my, oh, my, <laughs> my consensus was no, they, if you're trying to win, this is not the team you put out there. So I think but it's just at not this as, point, it's moot yeah. too. It, well, you, it, know. you know, yeah, I, I guess it, it, I think that there's, and there's data in there about how they approach team building for sure. Um, in that, in those decisions and whether or not those are decisions to lose or not. I, I see, I, I don't see it as quite binary. I think they made some decisions no, to, so that they didn't lose too many games again because that has a negative impact on your locker room, you yeah. know, and and your young your young players to be like the the worst team in your conference well, for like I a lot Kevin of like being non competitive. Yeah, and then you, and then you, yeah, then and, and that's a great great point too because maybe you lose Kevin Love if you're you know if you go on a seven ten game losing streak at the beginning of the season, you know, like. So and, and Kevin Love just wasn't healthy for two straight years. And we won. Yeah, and I'm gonna do yeah. an, I'm gonna do an entire feature on this on our site. But like looking at the very early season and how we caught some breaks and put together some great wins, I think were so huge for this team to just like this is an engine that's got to get started before it can run, right? And and they got it started so perfectly at the beginning of the season. Yeah. So what were you saying about Okoro before I derailed your uh, non-trade train? <laughs> I don't even remember. We've been talking about Okoro for so long. I can't. Yeah. So you were talking about, <laughs> you know, why it made sense to play him at the two. Yeah. Or, or had transition him to the two this season. Yeah. So they were able to. I mean, I just think that they, they upgraded their roster to a point where they always thought he was going to be better as a two. And then 
the way the roster came together once they had Markinen and Mobley added. And they knew that Rubio was going to be able to do a ton of creation work uh, with the bench unit. Then it became so much more palatable to slide over Okoro into the two. Right. And, and I think that that's, that's more of why it, it wasn't so much that they like screwed up and didn't play him enough in it, whether it was for tanking or whatever, you know, it, the reason sort of doesn't matter at that point because um, they had to do what they had to do for whatever reason. But this year he's been moved back to the two because of the roster moves they, they made last off season. Um, and he can play his natural position again. And so can Chetty and they've both really benefited. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, I have never, you know, put the, uh, I've never discounted how much the new defensive enforcement rules have helped the Cavaliers and the fact that they can play bigger now without nearly as many, you know, just guys just launching themselves into bigger players and drawing fouls as was the case the last, you know, three, four years, um, has helped them immensely and was, they they probably are the biggest beneficiary of any team in the league as far as that goes. And, and you know, we've all talked about how that was a needed change. Um, but the fact that they have a lot of very tall guys that move their feet really well and defend in space well, you know, was really synergistic with the changes in the enforcement rules and, you know, just super uh, – just a lot of serendipity there. So it's been yeah. really nice to see. I think it did. I agree with you that it did help the Cavs more than a lot of other teams. Of course, they're doing the, the tall ball renaissance. Uh, but a lot of the East is probably like maybe that's contributed to some of the parody that we've seen in the East, that officiating change. If, and if that's the case, and then bravo, because that's exactly the kind of actual effect you want out of an officiating change, right? Is to like increase parody because that leads to better competition and more interesting oh, absolutely. competition. Yeah. I've, uh, I've yeah, found the NBA vastly more entertaining. Than oh, you. it's great. Yeah, it's great. They, they did one right for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just been such a fun year to be a Cavs fan and <laughs> ha- hasn't it? I mean, it's been maybe the, <sighs> okay. So regular game, like regular season games in 15, 16, 17, 18, right? Like there was a lot of fun to be had and you could kind of get a baseline of entertainment out of those games no matter what. But especially like toward the end where like the regular season felt like it was maybe reaching the nadir of its importance or impact on championship yeah. basketball. Um, some of those seasons were not that fun. I mean, even some of those playoff runs, you know, could be way more stressful Slots. than fun, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, they literally just tanked two games and then went to home from Toronto and beat that team's butt. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and those teams had some amazing characters. I'll always love every, every dude on the, the 2016 roster in some way because oh, they're champions, but, um, you, you got to go back to the first iteration of LeBron's time in the Cavs to find like these little hopeful sprites of, of future impact, but that was always complimented by people who, sorry, I have helicopters above my house, but people who, um, they're finally, they found me. <laughs> they figured out where I am. Um, but to have people who are always going to be likable and good is, is really rare in those first LeBron era teams. Like there were still like some people who are like, really, you're bringing this guy in? <laughs> you think this is going to finally fix this problem? Uh, this team is just pure fun. Uh, so I put it right up there. It's like a top two or three 
uh, team that I've enjoyed watching. And uh, I mean, even Rajon Rondo has been super fun. How about that (laughs) behind the back pass to Kevin Love to beat the shot clock? Oh man! Uh, In the in the dude, he had another one. He was in the he was in the corner and did an over like a fundamental overhead. Uh, overhead pass it was a bounce pass that went right through the defense straight to kevin love for three love missed the three but it was just like how the hell did you even see that pass you know what i mean like it was it was just oh yeah and he does that like two or three times a game and then how about his oh all of a sudden i can shoot from 26 feet out (laughs) on the right wing or the top of the key tonight where he made his one three and then i know the dagger it was it was timely and then the whistle blew on the next one and he drained another 26 footer after the whistle blew you remember i think you got to give him that i think you got to give him that because like (laughs) that's 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 some more vibes based coaching right like he he's feeling himself in a way that's helping him perform on the floor. And if that involves a little, you know, a little cockiness from the three point line, that's maybe ill-advised. Like, yeah, if that's part of how he's, how he's getting down. Uh, well, that was all role, part of Rubio's team too. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Rubio yep. was that guy that didn't shoot a super high percentage, but the team said, Hey, if you're open, shoot, we'd much rather you be a willing shooter than a non-willing shooter. You know, and yep. then that led to yes. those cr- that crazy game in the garden where he hit eight eight and nine threes. Yeah, like just just let it rip. And I think the confidence that JB shows in guys is very reminiscent to me of uh, Tom Thibodeau was a guy like that who just said not Tom Thibodeau, um, Mike D'Antoni uh, with like the uh, the Matrix and Sean Marion just was like let it rip, man. Step if you're going to shoot it, step into it with confidence, and don't care if you miss. I don't care about your percentages as long as you're shooting good shots. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, no, I'm glad uh, Chris brought up the vibes thing because that's I think Rondo's brought an element to the team that it, it, an element of, of like toughness and of like I, I, of an edge. I feel like he's brought an edge to the team that the team needs because we got a lot of nice guys, you know, it's Jared Allen, you know, Darius Garland, you know, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley. They're all nice young children, you know, like <laughs> they're children, you know, and NBA children anyway. And so uh, I think Rondo brings an edge to the theme that uh, I think other guys are feeding off of for sure. And, yeah, and I think that's too. We, we talked about that in the next game. Yeah. Well, they're both part of that. I think um, I'm going to sound like a, a like our, our our friends over at uh, at uh, the Chase Down a little bit. I'm going to be a cheerleader for the team <laughs> and be cheesy, uh, but you know it's all still true as they are as well often. But uh, when you have you you have these multiple levels of players that are um, buying in, you know, and I think that's really important when you're trying to lift a whole roster because um, there's three guys that stand out. Yeah, to to me for that, obviously, Love and Rubio are almost the same guy in this, um, and they are the veteran that's bought in. And then you have these core guys like uh, Sexton and, and Garland, these guards that are really leaders for the team, and they have to be bought in. And then you have guys like Stevens and Wade, who are very obviously. I mean, Stevens is like the spirit animal of this of this group. You know, they they He's love him. this team's Dre. 
Yeah, like they love him and he embodies what they're trying to do, uh, regardless of performance or talent. Like he's just doing the thing. So those that's three levels of oh my microphone's breaking. I'm, I'm good now. But we have uh, that's like three levels of buy-in, right? Like that's that's enough uh, uh, tide to lift all the ships, I think. And uh, it seems like the early returns are that Rondo is also filling in and providing that exact same sort of level of, of buy-in uh, from the veteran tier of the team. And that's huge. Like that's a big thing we need from him, regardless of how he's not quite giving us what Rubio did on the court. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, when we come back, um, we're going to ca- talk about that a little more. Welcome back to the second hour of Cavs, a podcast. And All I think right. uh, Chris Francis wanted to wanted to talk about uh, some bench all stars here for the Cavs. So, yeah, yeah. Lay, well, it, wanted, lay it on me, Mr. Yeah, Francis. Right. There we go. Actually, it was uh, inspired by JB's comment from the last press conference. Um he was talking about how Wade was able to get, you know, the question was asked about Wade's performance and being able to be plugged into the starting lineup, you know, immediately and not skip a beat. And, uh, JB gave a shout out to the fact that, uh, Dean Wade, um, was a four year guy, you know, stayed all four years and matured in college in, in the game. And that's why he's prepared, you know, as a professional in the NBA. And I think the same kind of applies to Lamar Stevens. So I just wanted to give a shout out to those four year guys. I think, and the, the general thing, or there's a feeling, uh, you know, that's shared among NBA fans or whatever that, and people who pay attention to the draft is that these four year guys are kind of underrated, you know, that they, you know, they, their experience is kind of discounted or held against them because of their age. So, but we got two guys that are making an impact that are able to make an impact as young players. And it's because I think they, they, I mean, JB said it, it's because they stayed four years in college and worked their craft and matured in life. Well, and yeah. uh, Dylan Windler was a three-year guy, I believe, oh, yeah, right. with a redshirt year. I think he was four-year, too. He was a four-year Well, guy I think too. he was a redshirt junior. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, there you go. Well, possibly. But he might have been a senior. I'm not, I'm not 100% yeah. sure. But, yeah. yeah. What- What's, what's amazing about him? And by the way, like, I know the answer. I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at the internet right now. Maybe you guys are as well, but how old is he? Him, he was your like guest this year. 26, I think. Wade? Yeah. Wade, Wade is, or Windler? Sorry. Wade, Wade. Wade is 24, yeah, I would bet. Yep. Wow. He's only 24. He, he just turned, he, he just turned 25 in, in the end of November. So he's oh, 25. Okay. okay. He's 25. Uh, okay, but, okay. but barely. Yeah. Um, also, hilariously, he's listed at 228 pounds, which as a person that weighs over 200 pounds, <laughs> let me tell you, that's not correct. And it's <laughs> awesome if he used to weigh that um, at some point, maybe it's showing up for charge camp. But my man is probably running around somewhere closer to 260, to, if I had to guess. Like, the dude is not not under 230 pounds. But uh, well. So I, you know, went to when they were the Canton charge, as they still should be, but they're not now. And I, I can't really do anything about that. But uh, when they were the Canton <laughs> charge, um, I went uh, a, a couple times when Dean Wade was there and he was very clearly the guy that they were developing to get to the pros. And oh, that's awesome. He very clearly came across as the preeminent player from those teams like and just his work ethic and his attitude and his professionalism you could see it on the bench and you know when 
I watched them in Canton, they really did a nice job with the way they ran that team. It was a very professional and, uh, you know, well-organized team. You can kind of tell a lot from a team and how the whole team is structured and how professional they are from how they act on the bench and kind of how much control the coaches have and if the players are in the right place and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the, the charge when I watched them in like 19 and it's hard to remember what year I watched them in because obviously COVID has played mind tricks on us all, but uh, very, very much in that vein of, you know, very well coached, very professional, not a lot of, you know, BS on the sideline or anything like that. So yeah, Dean Wade, always from the moment I first saw him live always kind of carried himself that way. So it's, it's been nice to see him represent himself that way, you know, up with the, the big organization, just the way he did in, uh, in Canton. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's been huge. Yeah, no. And, you know, and the Cavs have really, I mean, if you can get major contributions out of, undrafted free agents that's enormous and yeah you know one of the things that has really been uh from the desk of kobe altman a uh, <laughs> a something that is a check mark in his favor is his moves on the margins of you know these undrafted free agent guys as well as you know the absolute you know midnight heist that uh, Jared Allen was from, uh, I mean, the Houston and New Jersey trade. Yeah. You know, these moves on the margins where you are not risking a lot, but you are bringing in really high upside guys that are contributing to winning. That's enormous. And that's what great GMs do. And it's really been nice to see. Yeah. My, my internet's not great right now and I'm, I'm sport tracks not working for me, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was a great GM choice because Dean Wade and Stevens got tied up uh, under contract last year. Correct, like mid season, they signed. Uh, yeah, I think. I think. Yep. What is it like? Yeah, super low three year deals or two year deals. I think I three think year got two deals. years. Yeah, two years guaranteed money. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah, and uh, that that turns out to have been very smart because what's ended up happening now, and and uh, you heard Dean Wade's. Uh, Maybe he didn't, but uh, his press conference after the the last game, um, he was talking about how he just stays ready and, you know, we'll play whatever. And he was just saying, like, look, I, we have a lot of really good players in front of me, so I understand my role on the team. Um, and his role on the team at this point is back is is very much like a marketing backup uh, in most situations, just like Stevens is becoming an Okoro backup. Um these guys have slots that they fill into a offensive and defensive system that I think the coach has uh, and the staff have, have a lot of uh, built in coherence uh, in those systems. And that's not something we've seen for a super long. I mean, even LeBron teams, I'm not sure ever sort of uh, had that, had that um, heavy, uh, systemic planning that we have right now. Well, you almost can't with a LeBron team because how do you simulate having a LeBron James in the G League? Oh, that's true. Know? Yeah, yeah. Your offense you know, should be your offense should be LeBron James when you have LeBron. Yeah, James. no, and and LeBron James has always been difficult in that he's such a high usage player 
that it's impossible to you're you're organizing your whole offense around him being extremely high usage, but which is not a bad to, thing. But this is just no, a different it isn't. Thing, but it's sure. impossible to simulate and impossible to you know understand whether players are going to thrive in that system or not. But to your point, you know Lamar Stevens, uh, they guaranteed his and Dean Wade's contracts for this year, and then next year I believe he has a non guaranteed option, and then he actually has a team option for twenty twenty three slash twenty twenty four. Oh, nice. And then I believe, uh, just going to Sport Track, um, that Dean Wade has a team option for next year. So, again, yeah, really well. I mean, you obviously want to see those guys make their money, but, um, you know, the Cavs have definitely signed them, zeroed them in on very low risk, high value contracts. Yeah, and they're high value to those guys, even too. I mean, again, these are people that. Um, had to have been doubting their ability to get onto rosters, you know, a year or two ago, right? I mean, so it's, oh, for it's sure. not like, yeah, it's a good deal for them too. And the, and both of them are probably going to see money. They're going to see, I mean, right? Both of those guys are going to get second NBA contracts, whether they're here or somewhere else. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Assuming they have a good year next year, I would, I would be very surprised if they didn't. Which is a fantastic outcome for your development squad, for sure. Oh, yeah, especially when you literally didn't spend draft picks on those guys. Um, that's that's yeah, just call just just calling dudes on the phone, <laughs> right, yeah. and asking them to come to your tryouts. And well, then you and get let's NBA talk players. about other guys the Cavs have developed. Like Kyle Guy is Kyle Guy was a call up for the Miami Heat. You know. Yeah, uh, played for the charge was in the Cavs uh, training camp this year. Um, and yeah. I was super surprised when the heat called him up because, you know, we didn't really see a lot from them. And I'll be the first to admit, I didn't think that Dean Wade had what it took to be a pro in the NBA. And clearly I was wrong, you know. So a lot of times it's just these guys need minutes and development and patience and kudos to the Cavs for giving them that. And, you know, that touches on one thing I really want to get to for why this Cavs team is so special. And one of the things I really am excited to see happen is, <coughs> excuse me, um, J.B. Bickerstaff has done a phenomenal job establishing the culture. Sorry, one second. So, J.B. Bickerstaff has done a phenomenal job establishing the culture, just getting the team to buy in on defense, getting everyone on the same page. And I really think that one of the things you're going to see in the next few weeks is this team really playing to get J.B. Bickerstaff to be the coach of the All-Star game. And that is because I think that team really loves him and – there are very few teams that have that kind of relationship between their coach and their players. And I feel like the Cavs are one of them. So I'm really excited to see what the next few weeks bring for the Cavs. And I really would love to see them get that for him. Oh, they're playing for, for all this and more, uh, as the famous song goes. Uh, they're playing for <laughs> nice. getting a couple guys onto the all-star game. Uh, they're, they're the roster, I should say. They're, they're playing to get JB coach of the year. They're planning to get Love Sixth Man of the Year. They're planning for Mobley to get Rookie of the Year, and they're planning to make actual noise in the playoffs. I think and that's what all of these guys are, are feeling right now. 
I, I think they're also playing to get Darius Garland a big, fat extension on his rookie contract. Yeah, which he's which he's earned and he'll get. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think if you don't think uh, Darius Garland is a max guy right now, I don't, you know, I don't know who yeah. in the NBA is. And I think you have a lot of, uh, I hate talking about the business stuff, honestly, but like you have a lot of leverage on a guy like Okoro as well to tie him up because he's, he's here and he's a big part, I think, of this, of the young core of this team culturally. And, uh, you can see the love between him and Garland. They do a lot of those split, uh, press conferences, you know, not a lot of them, they've been a few and they're always just like, they're, they, they clearly have a lot of affection for one another. Well, and, and have uh, you followed the stuff around Kevin Love and Darius Garland? A little bit, but tell me about the, it. Yeah, well, just talking about how, you know, they kind of just gravitated towards each other from the start of, you know, Garland's rookie year. And I guess uh, Kevin Love is really close with Darius Garland's parents now. Um, yeah. You know, because I think they came to Cleveland at least part of the time that uh, he was a rookie. Um so it's just it's a really cool vibe, you know. Again, good vibes coaching of everything yep. going on with this team. Yeah, there's a great video of uh, Darius Garland who was playing a high school showcase his senior year of high school, and uh, LeBron was there because his oldest son uh, was also in the showcase. I don't know if it was a different Ronnie. AAU level. Yeah, but I'm not sure if it was a different AAU level or not. But basically, uh. The video shows Garland like kind of razzing Bronny a bunch. And then like LeBron's like, what are you kids doing? And then Garland tells LeBron that he was razzing him or whatever. And LeBron's laughing along. And um, it's very cool. And it, and it shows that he's he's really been brought up into that sort of, you know, he wasn't this big hype player. Like we heard from agents, which was very interesting, by the way, that during that draft cycle, we heard like, agents and gms being like yo this this carlin guy is legit even though in media he wasn't like necessarily considered um this huge pick like there was there were rumblings about him going first and and uh clutch was sort of talking about him you know hyping him up and this is a guy that grew up very much in that in that basketball lens of being a future star i don't think that translated super well to cleveland fans at the time, but he was, he was very much from that same LeBron James sort of like, you know, direct route toward the NBA and hobnobbing with a lot of people. And he's handled it with a, with a similar grace to LeBron in terms of not being a, a media sensation for the, for the wrong reasons. Like not, you know, he's staying off of TMZ, right? Like he comes off as like a very, very likable, hardworking kid. Um, and it's amazing. We're so lucky to have him. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about a little bit of a, a mea culpa here when we come back. So we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon. And, you know, a bit of a mea culpa. There's probably nothing I was more wrong on in the history of Cavs the Podcast than I was on Darius Garland or Cavs the Blog. I was vehemently against Garland uh, when the Cavs drafted him. And, you know, very much for the first kind of year and a half of his career, did not see a path to him being a good player. And obviously, you know, the injury played a very big part of 
you know, the injury when he was a uh, freshman in high in college uh, played a big part of him not having a great rookie year. And, you know, I just super thrilled to be totally wrong. And I think part of what it was, was I didn't have a lot of faith in John Beeline when the Cavs had him. And there was that whole rumor about how part of the reason the Cavs drafted him was the Darius Garland workout in front of John Beeline and Kobe Altman in an empty gym. And yeah, how John Beeline thought he would be this amazing player. And there were still, there were those stories about Sexton too, which is interesting. Like there are lots of folklore about his, his tryout with the team. Well, and of course, you know, Sexton got so much mileage about beating that team four on five when he was in college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And of course, Ben Worth famously, at least in CTB lore, uh, you know, wrote about that, about, you know, Good Earth Darren Collison. So it, it was, it yeah. was interesting, <laughs> but, um, I, I was totally wrong on Garland. I'm, and I'm thrilled to have been, um, because he's exactly what you just described, uh, Mr. Lydon. And it, it's been super fun to watch and a very selfless and, you know, player that kind of does everything you need him to do on the court, especially given his size. So it's been super fun to watch. So now, Chris Francis, you haven't talked in like 20 minutes, and it's your <laughs> turn to tell me what a dumbass I am. So. <laughs> well, I, I think the thing with the thing that sticks out about the Garland experience so far, uh, especially as it relates to the past and the animosity or, or just angst people felt uh, about the whole draft pick and everything is that uh, if, if people had just thought like because of the injury, you know what I mean? And you, you, you brought it up, the injury really set him back a year and he really didn't play in college. So, I mean, I feel like if people would have just thought of it as that, as though he was one year behind in his development curve, there wouldn't have been as much of the Yanks. But I mean, when the losses pile up, when he looks bad, you know, and they keep on running him out of there. And I think there's legitimate questions even about like starting him outright and then just, you know, letting him flounder like a fish, you know, there for uh, the good part of the uh, rookie season and a little bit of the second, uh, you know, a little bit of the second season. I think, uh, you know, to me, I always had faith because of the vision. And I think that was what was really underrated about his game coming out is like, I think people had the conception that he was going to be more of a scorer, but he's more of like a real, like a, he's a throwback point guard. He's more like John Stockton and Steve Nash than he is, or in Chris Paul. Than cough, he is. cough, Chris Paul. I was yeah, about yeah, to do, yeah, there you go. Exactly. He's more in that kind of ilk than he is a Steph Curry or a Colin Sexton or whatever, you know, the score first. You know, he's not an Iverson, you know, he's a guy that's going to actually run up, you know, he's going to run offense and find looks for guys, you know what I mean? And just the, the way his passing as a weapon, I think is just something that that's what drew to me that that's what immediately popped from day one. And I was just like, that's what's going to give him a chance. You know, uh, even in his rookie season, I was, I was a believer in how well he passed the ball. I mean, his passing metrics were off the charts then. Yeah, and none of the rest of his metrics were. <laughs> right, exactly. So. Unfortunately so, yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, and and that's part of the reason I was so down on him. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I, you know, it's funny. I was looking back at a, 
uh, a chat history I had with somebody in my DMs on Twitter today, and I was like, you know, I the it was from August, and I was like, well, it'll be interesting what this team does when JB and Kobe are gone. <laughs> clearly not not uh buying into what the Cavs are selling but i'm super thrilled to be wrong so it's it's been it's it's been super awesome yeah it's beautiful it's been a lot of fun and we haven't even talked about the most probably exciting part of the Cavs and what we saw tonight evan mobley has been just so many things he does well. And the things he does well are things that so many players in the NBA struggle to do after tears in the NBA. And sorry, my, 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 my headphones are going in and out. It's, it's been super fun to watch him develop that way. And one of the things that stands out to me is how incredibly quick he is as a center um, as a finisher. So, I mean, just tell me what you love about it, Evan Mobley, Chris Lydon, and, and what am I missing? I, oh, I don't think you're missing too much. I mean, I think... So he's he's been showing some skills that he was really good at in high school and his very brief uh, college career um, in, in the post. And we, we saw that a bunch tonight. Um, and he was struggling with his dribble a little bit. He was losing his dribble. Like, he's he's keeping the ball way outside of his body probably further than he needs to because of his height advantage for a lot of the people that he finds himself in post-up matchups with. Um, but he's trying that and he doesn't quite have this, the strength to bang with NBA guys. Uh, we've seen, you know, the, the Vujovics of the world uh, give him some problems there, but he's still practicing this skill. And so we're going to see really, I think smooth progress on that front as he matures and ages uh, because he's going to be building on uh, an, an existing skill set that has maybe not been successful yet, but will get more successful in the future. Uh, the defense is already there. The defense is for a rookie. I mean, the defense alone is worth rookie of the year. Uh, we've all seen how rookies defend at every position, and and he's light years ahead of so many really good prospects in terms of his immediate impact on the defensive end, um, let alone being in a scheme that, that benefits him, which, you know, this, this poor guy gets drafted by another team and uh, he's, he's like playing center uh, backup minutes or something, you know, he's been slotted into this very novel offensive and defensive concept with the way that they do three, two zone stuff on the defensive end. And he's thriving in a, in a, I think a really correct, uh, developmental uh, environment for uh, a player of his of his uh, skill set. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna start beating the drum for Point Mobley. It, it's overdue. <laughs> it's it's quite overdue. It'd be, like, it'd be interesting. I, I think that's a thing that I think would. I think well, you've we've, seen, we've seen it. I, I want to see it more. I want to see some more. I want to see some more, big time. Like I think it's now. Now's the time. Like we've got to start ramping him up for the playoffs. Because like we need him to be a difference maker in so, playoffs on offense. So the way I, the way I think about Point Mobley is, I think you want Love and Allen out there, right? Because I think if you're going to have Mobley sort of like as the point initiating the offense, I think you want him doing like 
outside dive, yeah. yeah yeah like high, high screen it. games yeah. and and then also still have a rim runner and a rim defender behind the the the, the guys responsible for the primary action right uh which you get from allen like that's that's where i think his first foray into uh Point as you say, point mobile is I would say just like building on his ability to be an offensive facilitator. Um, he can totally do that. I mean, like in the full court, he could certainly take. He hasn't much yet, but he could certainly take the rock uh, all the way up the court and put it, put it, put it down for sure. I think he's capable of doing that. Um, but in in half court sets, like if he's if he's going to be doing uh, a facilitation role, that's how I see it working best for him. Uh, getting getting love in there as well. I mean, to me, he's a little too turnover prone for that still, but you've seen it a lot, especially when um, Rondo was out uh, and the Cavs kind of didn't really have a backup guard, especially when Rondo and Okoro were both out. Um, You saw him really being the two guard on offense uh, when playing with Darius Garland and they would run these sets where they'd you know, pitch it to Mobley and then he'd go find Garland. And those were great sets too. And I think you're going to see that more. And he does a really good job in the short roll. Where Mobley gets himself in trouble is when he turns his back to the defender, tries to back him down. And like you said, Mr. Leiden keeps that ball too far from his body. Um, and I, I can't remember which team it was, but I felt like uh, a couple teams really did a nice job of exploiting him keeping that ball away from his body and yeah, not having great control over it. And I think that's just one thing. I think you'll see him work on his handle a ton in the off season and, you know, the Cavs coaching staff just, you know, be really cognizant of, of, you know, keeping that handle a lot tighter um, and teaching him some rip through moves and that kind of thing to just give him, uh, better advantages in those situations, but I'm not quite sure he's there yet, and which is why I'd rather see another guard and put him in these advantageous situations. Like as a short roller, I absolutely love him because he's always in a three-two situation, um, or often, especially when they're trapping Garland. Um, I I wouldn't be completely opposed to seeing him in some big big pick and rolls. Uh, especially with spread floor options on the other side of the, you know, on the other three positions. But I think I'm a little concerned about good teams are going to trap him out there. Like I could absolutely see a guy like Bam Adebayo eating his yeah, lunch in sure. a situation like that. For sure. And I think that's a little bit problematic in like a playoff situation. So I think maybe against some lesser teams you can get away with that but yeah. against good teams with good defensive bigs they're going to pick up on that right away and maybe you just want the reps for him too like if you can get him a couple oh, yeah. of those no i'd uh, love to see it against some of these lesser teams for sure but he can be he like as primary ball handler this this season I'm, i don't quite see it but especially as a secondary guy uh because yeah. rondo rondo uh does not have good chemistry yet in the pick and roll with allen they haven't played a ton of minutes together. I think it's a super yeah. small sample size, but it's not there yet. Um, Goodwin has better chemistry in that in that role, but he obviously has a lot of uh, deficiencies compared to Rondo. Um, yeah, and so just you doesn't know, see the court the way Rondo yeah, does. Yeah, but you know you're going to need guys like Love and Chetty. Obviously, tonight that was a huge thing, but also Mobley increasingly. 
uh, you know, playing those sort of like a uh, second options of creation on offense, uh, especially when the bench starts getting mixed in. So we'll see. Well, you know, the other thing I love about Mobley is he's such a high level trash man. Like he's like the way that the Suns use Sean Marion, but like an even better finisher, which is hard even to believe. Because uh, Sean Marion was a great finisher, but Mobley has that floater and has that elbow jumper and has, you know, so many little pet post moves that, well, you know. That's, that's actually like, what I was going to bring up, Nate, was that yeah. I think I think over the past few weeks, I think Mobley has actually hit a wall. And what was nice to see tonight, I think, to in contrast, in, in, as you brought up about his performance tonight, I felt like we saw an aggressive Mobley looking for his shot. I felt like we saw him let it fly from three. He took five attempts, made three of them, you know, so he was willing to let it fly from three. I just felt like he was, uh, or oh, I'm sorry, he was one of three. I was reading the wrong one. Um, but I, he got 12 shots up, you know, which was tied for the most out of the starters. So I was really encouraged to see him just kind of look for his shot. He got, he went to the line seven times tonight. So uh, it, it, I just felt like he did a much better job looking for a shot tonight and being aggressive. And uh, also, I noticed that it may have been just an easy function of JB keeping him to 34 minutes. So uh, nine ran rotation, baby. Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> hey, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So super, super fun game. Super fun to watch. We're 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 gonna come right back and wrap this bad boy up, but um, yeah, it, it it's been a blast. And w- what are the Cavs over the last ten? I feel like they're eight and two. Eight and I mean, two. Uh, we were uh, us and us and the Sixers are the two hottest teams in the East right now. Yeah, awesome, and and probably the league. Well, other than Phoenix, obviously. Yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix. Okay, so we, we are eight and two in the last ten, and won three in a row, and have the best differential in the Eastern Conference. That is, yeah, at thirty and nineteen. Yeah, and clearly Nate Smith in August did not think that was possible. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be right back. Ooh. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon. And it has been, it has been a ball and a biscuit for sure, because that was probably one of the funnest regular season mm. wins we've seen from the Cavs since uh, the LeBron James era. And, you know, I don't know if you guys caught any of the Darius Garland quotes about how fun it would be for the Cavs to do great things without LeBron James, but I absolutely mm. loved that. Mm. You know, a little clutch to clutch. I wouldn't call it shade. I would call it uh, gamesmanship a little bit from mm-hmm. clutch to clutch. So, hey, I mean, I didn't think any disrespect. Oh, absolutely. And I didn't think any disrespect was meant. Oh, no, um, no. They're friends, aren't they? You said Oh, that yeah. Well, were, they're both clutch I think guys. Chris was so, that too. Yeah. Yeah. They're clutch guys for sure. So, I don't, I don't, I think uh, LeBron would have probably taken it. In, in stride and you know all things being equal he would probably rather be on the Cavs right now because <laughs> I know uh, ain't that the truth his Lakers squad looks moribund hey, LeBron you could always take a buyout and become our sixth man <laughs> save your legs uh-huh. save your legs <laughs> save your legs there you go man that that's a little hubris there but um <laughs> so 
Yeah. Uh, what have the Cavs got coming up next there, Mr. Francis? So it's a bit of a, you know, a, a three and four road trip um, at Detroit, home in New Orleans, at Houston, uh, at Charlotte uh, will be next Friday, uh, Friday, February 4th. So they've got some trap games before uh They've got some trap games before an important one against uh, Charlotte, who's nipping at the heels of the top six in the Eastern Conference. So, and then after that, it's Indiana, San Antonio, Indiana again, and then at Philly uh, just before uh, Valentine's Day and before the um, All Star break. So that that'll be yeah. Nice and day. when is the trade deadline? trade deadline it is february oh what is it nba trade hot googling action is happening right now this is the everybody's favorite part that's right uh, thursday it's when we google 10th. stuff and just vamp for like the next 10 seconds that's right that's right february yeah 10th. after the after the spurs game after the spurs game okay so there you go february 2nd 10th 10th okay so we're two weeks away yes Yes. Okay. So, oh wow! That I, is I know things. Stuff. Yeah, I know things happen at the last second in the NBA, but you know, you. It, I mean, this is now getting into crunch time. Like it, the fever, it's now reached. I feel like a fever pitch. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Speaking. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of the last second, I'm going to pitch uh, something I haven't pitched in probably three or four years. But if you have not watched. The Chiefs and Bills game from last oh, weekend. Oh, wow. Um, go find NFL Network or, you know, wherever uh, your NFL games are curated that you can repeat them and watch the last uh, probably two and a half minutes and overtime of the Chiefs-Bills game. I believe there were about 25 points scored in the last two minutes in overtime. By these teams, and it was probably one of the greatest NFL games you will ever see played. And I don't even like the NFL anymore. I used to be a diehard Chiefs fan, and probably would watch sixteen hours of football on every weekend <laughs> till about uh, seven, eight years ago. And then I, I kind of backed out on the sport and became a full time NBA guy, but. That uh, that Mahomes Josh Allen battle from last weekend is my pitch for the week. Was just absolutely football played at its highest level, at least offensively that I've ever oh, seen. Oh man, you, you're gonna make me pitch. You're gonna make me pitch Joe Burrow, aren't you? Oh, I yeah, no, I mean that that matchup of Mahomes and Burrow this week is gonna be <laughs> some. It's gonna be one for the ages. That's right. That's right. I think, and I think. And here's here my you call. were saying you didn't have a pitch. I know you. You inspired me. It's teamwork right there. That's teamwork yeah, right there. We're right like, there. we're the, like uh, Love and Rondo. Th- that's right. That's right. The you know I am calling it right now. You will see the 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals in a trilogy matchup for the Super Bowl. It'll be Bengals Niners. Part three for the Super Bowl. You heard it here first. Well, I'd like to tell you you're right, but uh, all my family in Wichita tells me that you're wrong. So. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I'm going out. <laughs> I mean, like this is you know, 
I don't know if it's like a kamikaze mission or not, but I mean, it's essentially. Hey, I love it. (laughs) Have you seen, you saw the picture of Joe Burrow wearing the uh, LeBron jersey from uh, 2015 floating on today? Yeah. Oh, I got to check that out. Yeah, he had a tweet that was him in front of a mirror with a LeBron jersey saying, he's back. (laughs) Nice. Actually, it was 2014. So I love it. So yeah, he's a big Cavs fan. Oh yeah, he's a home. He's from Athens, Ohio. So yeah, uh, so there yeah. you go. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, that should be a fun game. So, are you a Bengals fan? Yes, I am. I am. Uh-huh. I was. I was born and raised as a Browns fan. But when I was actually, old, I'm actually old enough to remember that uh, Art Modell and his backstabbing of the city. And his, you know, him fleeing town. And uh, so, and then, and lo and behold, I spend, you know, my uh, high school and adult years in Cincinnati. So, I fully converted. So, um, screw you, Art Modell. Uh, Amen, and, yeah. Uh, you know, I feel R. like that's an, a, an acceptable Browns defection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, moving there especially. Yeah, especially if you stand them over the last five, six years because they were pretty rough. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I I converted and, uh, you know, I I pulled a Mike Brown is what I did. I pulled a Paul Brown. You know, I was born uh, in the early 80s in New England in Boston, Massachusetts, and was set up for a native fandom of the New England Patriots, uh, but my 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 old man was from Cleveland, and uh, they left as well in the middle of my fandom. Um, I became a uh, uh, temporary Buffalo Bills fan while they were gone, uh, but certainly came back to them. I did I did not escape the curse. <laughs> it's oh. generational. There's oh. only one way to get more Browns fans, and that's to make them. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Damn. <laughs> oh shit, that was so good. <laughs> they did, they don't con- nobody converts. It's like absolutely yeah. the fuck not. No, no. Sorry for dropping the f bomb, but that's I uh, that yeah. deserved it. It deserved. It. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. So, what do you got to pitch, Chris Lydon? I have to pitch a uh, a record, a new album that was put out this year. Uh, that's uh, already one of my favorites. Um, I don't do the best job uh, staying hip to the the latest trends uh, as an old person, but uh, there was a flash from the past uh, recently that's really worth talking about. And much like Kevin Love, as we were talking about earlier, uh, and teaching old dogs new tricks. Uh, a band from the 90s originally, uh, Pedro the Lion, just put out a record called uh, Have a Nice. Seat. That is a blast is, from the past. Yeah. I was and, really hoping you weren't going to start standing Eric Clapton. <laughs> no, no. Wow. Let me tell you. Wow, let me tell you. Faith, Nate. Man. <laughs> yeah, Whoa. you know I'm messing with you. Yeah. <laughs> I have a funny story about him because he's uh, spent a huge amount of time in central Ohio. As you guys may or may not know, his wife has roots in the suburbs, the rich suburbs of my city. Uh, so, yeah, I have some stories about him. But um, this record, uh, Havasu, it's it's the second in a five-record uh, series where he's doing uh, a record about every city he lived in in his childhood. And he moved around a lot, so it's five different cities. The first record was uh, Phoenix, 
It was released a couple of years ago, and this is Havasu, which is about uh, Lake Havasu, which is a, a little town he lived in in middle school. And uh, so it's a thematic record about that, but it's so good. It's 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 like it's like an indie pop record, basically. And uh, it's my favorite thing that's come out in this short year so far. Oh, I'll check that out. I uh, So my record recommendation this week is something I just picked up by chance listening to Napster's Trending Alternative. And it's a guy named Oliver Tree who kind of does these, you know, it's kind of like indie pop, but mixed with a little bit of electronica, very hooky. But I, I kind of like it. So um, I'm a cheap date. I'm an, e- I'm an easy mark when it comes to music. Give me a hook and a melody, and I'm there. So, yeah, me yeah, too. Check out Oliver Tree. So, awesome. Okay, and uh, we will uh, next up for the Cavs uh, Saturday or Sunday. Ooh, Sunday. Um, Sunday versus yeah. the Pistons. Pistons. Six PM. So yeah. a little rookie in, of the year battle. Yeah, and an yeah, early, an early Sunday on. game. Yeah, and as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite bloggers.